here to get you out of this sticky situation. Didn't your parents ever tell you to not play in wells, mines, and other dark divides? You never know what lurks inside. <laughs> Let's hurry and get you out. We don't want the Whisper Man to find us. And better yet, don't tell me your name, because the Whisper Man is coming. Have you heard of the Whisper Man? My father said our town wasn't always the way it was. This town, the one I was born into, is a hard and bitter one. Death and decay, the foundation upon which it was built. He said, when the mine man rich and the silver was easy, it was a prosperous and happy place. People would come from far and wide to settle and make this town their home. Now all that's left is sepia-frozen memories and dust-covered glory. The second generation claims the town died when the silver and other precious minerals dried up. As rapidly as people appeared, they scattered to the wind even faster once the jobs vanished, shriveling any marrow the town had for self-preservation. But that isn't the truth of it. The old ones know. They know. Just as I do now that it wasn't the job prospects. It wasn't the mine and its failure to no longer produce profits for all. It was the curse of the Whisper Man. In grade school, we sang his song in the playgrounds. 
We teased the name on Hollow Nights, but I never quite knew where it first began. I could still hear it now, in the folds of my mind. Have you heard the Whisper Man? The Whisper Man. The Whisper Man. He says your name against the night. He calls you once. He calls you twice. When it's thrice, you pay the price. The Whisper Man comes tonight. Don't go down the mine at night, or the Whisper Man will give you a fright. If he catches you and learns your name, watch out, then gone and clean. If he says your name against the night, he'll call you once, he'll call you twice. Thrice when heard, he'll take a bite. The Whisper Man comes tonight. It's strange how nursery rhymes are taught and no longer feared. To teach a child something so frightening is considered normal. Stranger still, despite the nightmares that plagued our entire class from the schoolyard jingle, not one single adult raised an issue with our teachers. Almost as if learning the song and embedding a fear of the mind was the only way they knew how to protect their children. But children grow up, they get brash, cocky, and they forget or pretend to, about the nightmares of their childhood. And what was once a terrifying proposition slowly evolves into an act of defiance. Which is why on a moonless night, the four of us found ourselves at the entrance to the old mine. Brave Bill, Sweet Simon, Devoted Daisy, and me, Sensible Sam. The glue sticks, four best friends who are four foolish idiots. A treasure hunt. We said, to go in and find the hidden silver that will make us all rich. We had water, torches, some granola bars, and all the misguided immortality of youth. The mine was wider than it was deep, much of the ore sitting on the surface. Shallow tunnels curved and snaked like a maze inside, with passageways that led to steep drop-offs where they needed to go deeper to catch a vein. The deepest shaft was a little over two miles down. Bill was our leader, and he took point. The plan was to go to the temporary ore storage near the deepest shaft, marked on an old map Bill had found. We estimated three hours to get there and back, but if we hit a ton of collapse, we'd have to turn back. Twenty minutes into the mine, and all the cheeriness we felt at the start of this adventure had turned into doubt and dread. Closed nearly 30 years, the mine was nothing like we imagined it to be. Crumbled, collapsed, or poorly maintained. No graffiti covered its walls, and the floor was completely free of the human detritus found in abandoned places. Not a single broken bottle, used condom, or dirty syringes. It looked functional and sturdy, as if it was patiently waiting for the miners to return. Guys, I don't like this. I want to go back. What's wrong? Asked Simon, concerned lacing his voice. Something feels off. It's... It's too clean. Seriously? You want to turn around because it's not dirty enough for you? Shut up, Bill. You're being an ass, I said. Doesn't matter why. If she wants to go back, we go back. Well, then turn back. But I'm not going to. 
I'm gonna keep going and find the silver and become rich. Richer even, since I won't have to split my shares with any cowards. Bill, what's gotten into you? We stick together, remember? You're coming back with us if we turn around. Stubbornly, Bill crossed his arms and looked at the three of us in anger. No, we need that money. My my mom needs that money. I'm not leaving without it, especially over something so stupid like a feeling. Simon sighed and looked at us too. (sighs) He's being an idiot, but we can't leave him alone here. Daisy, it's just a bit further, okay? And then we'll go right back out. Daisy nodded at Simon hesitantly, so I reached over to hold her hand for comfort. Glue stick, I said to her, smiling. She squeezed my hand, replying with a smile. (laughs) Extra sticky. When we finally reached the ore storage, it was a slightly wider chamber in front of the shaft opening. Our torches illuminated the entire disappointing area, showing a room free of boxes or mounds of silver ore. Bill's face had crumbled to rubble as we entered the chamber, and I walked over and touched his shoulder. Hey, we can come back tomorrow, try a different area. I'm sure there's something someone missed. He looked at me gratefully. Thanks, Sam. It's just... It's been tough since Dad died. I really wanted to find a way to give my mom a break, you know? I nodded understandingly. We were mirrors, Bill and I, in the parent department. Let's head back. I'm starting to feel cold. And Simon, you idiot! Get away from the shaft! Simon was looking down the pit, his face furrowed in confusion. I... I... I think there's something down there. He said, his torch barely making a dent in the darkness. Not funny, dude. No, really. Come see. The three of us edged closer to the lip of the shaft, adding our light to his own. Yet even then... It didn't illuminate anything beyond the first two feet. Weird. What? Suddenly, the abyss enclosed and the shaft fluctuated. A cold draft curled from its mouth, lifting our hair and spreading goose flesh along our skins. The smell of musky minerals filled our nose as the shadows of the pit shivered slightly. Freaked out, we scrambled backwards and hurried to exit the chamber. With our backs turned to the pit, something stirred to the surface. It was the barest of whispers. But it halted us in our attempt to flee. Screaming in terror, we raced from the chamber, our torches bobbing wildly as we ran back to the opening of the mine, to safety. In his haste, Simon tripped, falling hard, his torch rolling away and out of reach. Lying prone in the darkness for the fraction of time it took for us to react and reach him, we all heard... Outright terrified, we pulled him to his feet and ran. But the tunnels were a maze, and before long we already forgot the way that we came, forcing us to stop and look at Bill's map. Simon and Daisy illuminated the path behind us, keeping the darkness at bay, as Bill and I examined the map. But we should have been sweeping the light everywhere. From above, a whisper came. 
Hearing his name, Simon looked up and began screaming in horror. The shadows parted. A yawning maw of blackened teeth descended down onto our friend, swallowing him into nothingness. Bill, Daisy, and I stood frozen in shock, unable to comprehend what just happened. It was Daisy's high-pitched thrill that cut through the shock of our minds, saving us. Yanking on her arm, I pulled her away from the spot Simon had stood. The three of us bounded as fast as we could until we had finally reached the mine entrance. I wanted to take a moment to stop and bawl my eyes out, but Bill didn't let us. He insisted we go straight home and not look back. To wake up our parents and tell them what happened. Tell them that they were right. That the Whisper Man lurked in the mine still at night. And so I did. I woke my dad and told him everything. He didn't so much as utter a word. He hugged me tight, my tears staying against his nightshirt and rubbed my back telling me it was going to be okay. We packed up and left that same night, not saying a word to anyone. No goodbye to Bill or Daisy. They had told their parents like I had, they were probably doing the same. My dad made a call to Simon's parents in between stuffing clothes in his suitcases. There were cries from the other end of the line, causing me to curl in on myself. We should have turned back. Dad put what felt like a thousand miles between us and the mine, making our new home in a city that never slept, where its constant light and noise would act as a defense against the Whisper Man. For many years it worked, and I even grew to love the city, despite its harsh edges. However, a storm came through one night in my late teens, its raging fury destroying the power grid, plunging the city into eternal darkness. I woke up in bed that night, knowing something was wrong. The feeling of cold dread festering in the pit of my soul. I didn't move, staying absolutely still, afraid to breathe. Perhaps, perhaps if I didn't look into the darkness, then nothing would look back at me. But I could feel it growing colder, the scent of earth and metal clinging to my sheets. The shadows inched closer and I pulled the covers over my head, hoping that my flimsy barrier would hold. I began to scream. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you there. It's just Ranger Harper and Larry here. <laughs> you were falling a little bit behind, and I just couldn't miss the opportunity to give you a little bit of a fright. <laughs> Come on. We still have a ways to go, and the forest is only going to creep in more if we stay any longer. We have to get a move on if you want me to get you to the trailhead and onto the proper path you were meant to be on. As we walk, I have one final tale to tell you. And this is just a reminder that things aren't always what they seem in The Two-Headed Serpent. <sighs> it's nearly five o'clock. She should be back by now. I stood at the sink, my gaze frantically searching the horizon for my daughter's figure. I knew it was too soon to send her out. I just knew it. 
Stout pillars wrapped around my arms. Callous fingers gently unfurled my white knuckles from the counter's edge. She is fine, and deep down, you know it. We've taught her more than enough. She is safe. She is negative. She will come back. Dan kissed my cheek and squeezed me, the tension still vibrating through my veins, but I relaxed outwardly. I know you're right, but I can't help but worry. We are down to our last five test kits, and if she doesn't come back with what I need, I won't be able to fabricate more. Ugh, you worry too much. I gave him a look over my shoulder that said, with good reason, before wordlessly continuing my vigil. All right, all right, fair point. (laughs) Dan laughed. I can never fathom how he was able to do that so liberally. Laughing felt erroneous. ESCC-21 was the deadliest virus to strike the human race. Mother Nature was categorically through with us, thus combining not one, not two, but three viruses into one super contagion. I could hardly believe it when I first watched the virus cells dance beneath my microscope. Beautiful, in all frankness. Its common name was Apivena, named for the Greek mythological creature, the Anphisbena. The virus had two heads, followed by a long serpent tail, which tend to curl in on itself, creating the illusion of eating itself. However, it ate you. The virus was highly contagion via airborne pathways, over bodily fluid contacts and sexual contact. Once it infiltrated your body, it released cancerous cells affecting your lungs, brain, and sinuses. A perfect storm virus with plans to kill us all. Once a person was infected, the symptoms blossomed to the surface within 72 hours. First, your eyes would itch. Characteristics for the time of year it struck as most people assumed it was seasonal allergies. Then came the runny nose. Again, typical. What wasn't so typical was the bloody nose following close behind. I'm not talking about a few meager droplets. More like a torrential rain coming from your nostrils caused by a newly formed brain tumor. The deadliest milgenis killed people on average within 18 months. This? This killed you within 5 to 14 days, and not business days. At the time of the outbreak, I worked at a top university laboratory as a core infectious disease scientist. My work revolved around pandemics and vaccine development, so naturally I was among the first to be called for assistance by the WHO to work on a vaccine. Lilia, our daughter, was only five at the time, and Dan was already accustomed to my long hours, therefore I accepted. Within a short time of the outbreak, a staggering million people died from ECC-21, with zero recovery. People were too scared to even go further than their doorstep. The world was forced to close its doors, and I relished the idea of being the one to save us from this isolating disease. The unique design of the virus allowed it to cluster in your brain. Countless nights I spent poring over piles of MRI photos on my desk, displaying both normal brains and infected ones. 
I scanned through hundreds of grainy image after grainy image of serpent tails twining together to form a snake's nest within a person's skull that would cause Indiana Jones himself to run screaming like a little girl. All the scans ended the same, a rupture within the brain resulting in the stroke to end all strokes. With the death toll rising, the FDA pushed our protocols through to the drug trials and we were off to the races. My team and I worked tirelessly, but in the end, we developed a RNA vaccine, both smart and efficient in combating ECC-21. What I failed to realize was that I developed a mechanism for the virus to hide and prey on us at an accelerated rate. Six months. Six months is how long it took for over half the world's population to die. I still can't fully accept that I had a hand in destroying society as we know it. Hours of work wasted poring over cancer research in which doctors used stem cell vaccines in order to combat cancer cells. By combining the virus's DNA with stem cells depicted a spike in immunoresponse and growth of T-cell count, resulting in the virus killing itself. It was the perfect solution. Unfortunately, instead of creating an optimal vaccine, I created a whole new monster. ECC-22. ECC-22 could lie dormant in a person and be passed on genetically. Not only did we lose the majority of the world's population, but having children was a serious risk now. If a carrier had a child with what we dubbed norms, a non-infected, the norm would be infected. That wasn't the detrimental part. The child born to the couple would be born with their tumor on the outside of their skull. The children always went mad majority killing their loved ones and closest friends. The infected created, more commonly referred to as ICs, eventually became unpredictably violent and crazed, like their infected born brethren. Their tumors grew congruent with their brains, making them easy to detect with their gruesome head malformities. Clusters of tumors pulsated like insectile eggs under the skin as if signaling to its host. What was worse was norms seemed to agitate ICs, as if they were jealous of their untainted life, plunging them into a manic rage. Their temperament fast-tracked them to a shoot-on-sight order to safeguard what was left of the norm population. Aside from creating a travel-sized blood tester for mass production, my career in science was over. My work was plastered throughout the internet to see with it, my unforgivable mistakes. Isolation was not only safe for the world, but it was what was safest for my family and myself. Martha, where are you going? Dan's voice called to me from the end of the hallway. I didn't turn to him, shucking my arm into my winter jacket. I'm going to find our daughter, Dan. It's been too long. I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing. <laughs> Dan huffed, and I could hear the ruffle of his hair as his fingers raked through it. You need to calm down, Marty. She knows how to get home. 
We told her absolutely everything she needs to survive out there. I ignored him, lacing my boots so tight my ankles bellowed in pain, but I could care less. I rose and Dan was there to meet me, my red scarf a prisoner in his baseball mitts. I tried to take it, but he held firm. Marty, Marty, look at me. My face floated to meet my husband. His eyes darted from mine for a moment before coming back. A hesitation? I gave her the 32. Are you out of your fucking mind? I screamed, yanking the scarf entirely into my hands. She barely knows how to shoot it. Oh, oh my God. What if someone takes it from her, Dan? Did you even think of that, huh? My voice volleyballed down the hallway, shrinking my husband as he tried to save face. His expression only fortified my resolve. How dare he? Marty, listen, calm down. Don't you fucking Marty me. How dare you, Dan? Dan took a breath, trying to reach me again. Martha, she knows how to use it. I've been teaching her when you were out on runs or in the barn working. My body vibrated with anger. She was barely 16. Just, just a baby. I'm not a violent person, but at that moment... I wanted to slap the sense back into Dan. Mom? My eyes darted to the name. Lilia stood in the kitchen arcway, a backpack slung haphazardly over her shoulder. A worried look marred her sweet face. Oh, thank God, I whispered. I was down the hall, wrapping her in the fiercest bear hug imaginable. Delicate hands patted my back soothingly. I'm sorry, Mom, if I worried you, Lila said in my hair. I took a breath before releasing her, looking her over to make sure she was in one piece. Why didn't you tell me your father was teaching you to use guns? Lilia rolled her eyes, stepping back to transform into my brooding teenager. I'm not a kid anymore, Mom. Plus, Dad grew up on this exact farm shooting guns, and he's managed not to blow his head off. I glared at my daughter, my mom voice at the ready. Lilia, I... Besides... What would you have me protect myself with? It's not like there are police anymore, or are we at the point of resorting to clubs and rocks? Lilia continued, cutting off my side of the argument. My mouth opened to retort, but was immediately derailed by Dan interjecting. We're glad you're back safe, sweetheart. Why don't you go wash up for dinner, and you can tell us about your travels? <sighs> Sneaky bastard. Lilia nodded, darting towards the stairs that led to her room. My laser glare moved to fix on Dan. What? Now you have nothing to worry about. Take off your boot and jacket, and I'll set the table for dinner. With that, Dan kissed my head and left me to find my equilibrium. Lilia? I asked after ten minutes of silent eating. Dan had indeed set the table for us, pouring me a hefty glass of his experimental wine as if that would quench my mood. We were one of the lucky ones. The farm provided us with everything we needed, and it didn't take much to get fully productive once the second wave hit. Lilia stuck a fork full of rabbit in her mouth, eyes overly interested in my newly harvested carrots. Are you going to tell us about the supply run? I continued, my voice level as to not yell at the top of my lungs. My daughter swallowed, casting a glance at her dad before answering. It went fine, Mom. There was no trouble, and the directions you gave me were easy enough. Found everything on the list. Fine. 
What took you so long then if everything was fine? I punctuated the word and Lilia winced. I knew it. Now it was time for mom voice. What happened? Lilia still wouldn't look at me. My stomach flipped. What if she came in contact with an IC? Shit. I felt the rabbit hopping back up my throat as I waited for my daughter to tell us what happened. Finally, Lilia took a deep breath, Crystal Lakes shimmering back at me. I had to take the long way, through the backwoods and past the barn. That's why I came through the back door. Lilia's voice started strong, but ended soft and fast. The words flowing out of her too quickly, I didn't interject even though every hair on my body stood on end. I didn't want to run the risk that they were ICs, so I took the hidden path Dad made a few years back. It really needs to be cleared, Dad. It was overgrown and difficult to navigate. How many were there? Four. But they didn't see me. I made sure of it. I waited until they passed, and even a while after, before fully covering up the path entrance. Lilia's voice rose and fell with nervous energy. She stopped eating, the ordeal finally taking its toll. I wiped my mouth with my napkin and then went to my daughter. I bent and wrapped her in my protective arms where I knew she was safe. My brave girl. Her hands wrapped around my arms, hugging me back. I'm really sorry I made you guys worry. I promise it won't happen again. Oh, she was right about that. She would not be going out again. I knew Lilia didn't remember much about the beginning of the epidemic. Before, there was nothing for her to miss of our city life. Yet another blow to my ego. My vaccine had taken not only my daughter's future, but our city's home. We were fortunate to have the farmhouse left to us by Dan's parents. It stood on 10 acres with a backup generator, irrigation system, working equipment, livestock, and vegetation. Their passing was a year prior, and we had yet to do anything but maintain the property. When the second wave of the virus hit, the world set itself on fire. Riots, hysteric killings, most governments collapsing under the backlash. Worst of all was the priceless bounty on my head. So, if you had the means, or in most cases the ammunition, people exiled themselves to some remote corner of the planet and hunkered down. It was hard leaving the home we had built together. I was never a country type of person. I enjoyed having neighbors and the hustle of daily city life. The thought of isolation went against everything in my nature. But I buried my anxiety of solitary life along with my guilt. Besides, most of our friends and family either died from the virus or by a stranger's hand. I may have damned the world, but I would be damned if I allowed it to harm Lilia. I remember the color of the sky the day it all went to shit. It was that moment just before dusk when the eastern sky cast a hazy purple blanket over the wheat fields. The sun was beginning to wane behind the barn, the white hot star setting the structure aglow in an angelic halo. Clouds danced carelessly on a periwinkle stage. It was my favorite time of day. It signaled our success, a tick mark on another day survived. I was adding ingredients to my travel tester in the kitchen 
when I realize I left my pipettes and miniature scale in the barn. Sighing, I move through the back door, my feet squeaking on the steps on the descent and headed towards the barn. Lilia was reading a book in the tall grass, her legs swinging casually like a pendulum behind her. I smiled as I went by. <laughs> I told you it was good, I called, eyeing the battered cover of Pride and Prejudice. She beamed. I can't believe these girls, Mom. Were women really like this once? <laughs> I laughed, my stride slowing. Believe it or not, yes. She frowned as I continued to chuckle, resuming my pace. Uh, Mom, where are you going? To the barn, I called over my shoulder. I left a few things I need for the test kit. The grass rustled behind me, and soon Lilia was next to me, out of breath. <laughs> I can get them for you. Oh. Oh, that's sweet, honey, but I could really use the stretch. I'll come with you then. Lilia's voice rose an octave as she put an arm around my waist. I mean, Mr. Darcy isn't going anywhere. <laughs> She laughed sheepishly. I looked at her then, her mouth smiling at me while her eyes darted wildly between myself and the barn. Okay, I said slowly. What gotten into her? We walked in silence, Lilia's body tensing the closer we got to the barn. Everything okay, Lilia? I asked, mom instincts sounding the alarm. Yeah, of course. I was just... Thinking about what happened the other day. It's stupid. I stopped her, spitting her to me, the barn door a foot away. Oh, honey, I'm sorry if I caused you more stress. I think you really handled yourself well. I pulled my daughter into a hug. She squeezed me tight. I wish... I wish this wasn't the world you had to grow up in. I said, the words just slipping out. It was her turn to reassure me. It's okay, Mom. Really, I have everything I need here with you and Dad. She looked down, her small feet moving pebbles before looking back at me. Mom, I... I have to... Well, isn't this just the epitome of a perfect mother-daughter moment? A male voice chortled behind us. I froze, instinctively whirling and throwing Lilia behind me. A man stood before me, early fifties, grinning like the devil himself. His head was surprisingly clean-shaven, his face peppered with graying stubble. He was dressed in cargo pants, each pocket weighed down heavily with, I can only assume was ammo for the rifle slung casually over his right shoulder. He was muscular for his age, but with the life we led now, it wasn't shocking. For him to have lasted this long, he was a survivalist. However, the more pressing matter at him was... Was he infected? We stood, sizing each other up. Pregnant air growing hurriedly between us until I breached the silence. What do you want? It came out cleaner and with more bravado than I expected for myself. But I needed to stay strong until Dan got here. He put his left hand up in the air, his right coming to rest over his heart. I mean you no harm, ma'am. Just traveling through. I took an involuntary step back my hands snaking around Lilia's hip, calculating when to push her to run for the house. Your daughter there ought to be more careful. You need to teach her to be a tad more observant. Shit! My mind reeled at his words. That means he's been watching our home for a few days now. 
I'll ask you again, sir. What do you want? The pointed question left my lips with as much bite as I can muster. Just a wandering man looking for some hospitality. His smile marched beetles down my spine. The sound of a shotgun cocking made us both jump. We are not a Motel 6, sir. Dan walked up beside me, shotgun pointed at the man's chest. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wasn't implying you was. Just an old man who hopes he can rest his bones. I, I know times ain't what they used to be. I've been on my own for ten years now. Takes the toll out of you. He seemed to stare off for a moment, as if the last part he was talking more to himself than to us. I eyed Dan out of my periphery. His cut to mine. His shoulders twitched up in a, I don't know either gesture. Anyway, I watched you for a few days. His eyes drifted up to our barn as he continued talking. You seem like nice folks. Quiet, keep to yourself, and thankfully not I sees. He turned to grab something behind him, and Dan took a step forward. Easy now, friend. Don't worry now. Just grab him my bag. The man turned to reveal a small green Jansport backpack. He zipped open the big bag to display a small collection of medical supplies, test ingredients, and a handful of toiletry items. I got items to trade. Marty, that was the best damn meal I've had since all this bullshit started. Bill patted his stomach, laughing to himself. He leaned back, the old chair protesting from the unfamiliar movement. She has figured out how to perfect nearly any rabbit dish. My husband beamed, the two men sharing a smile. I smiled and nodded my thanks willfully, rising from the table to begin washing the dishes. After Bill's display, he explained to us that whenever he happened across people, he watched them for a few days, got their supposed feel. He traveled alone and, from time to time, needed supplies. He traded when possible, in addition to getting some much-needed human contact. After a few more exchanges, Dan relaxed and agreed, against my better judgment, to allow him one night. Bill countered that was all he needed. You don't have to do the dishes, Marty. Dan called from the table. I waved him off. Better I use my hands productively than use them to strangle him for letting a possibly crazy man into our home. I tried to relax as suds filled the sink. Of course, we tested him before I allowed him even a foot near the farmhouse. The negative test should have put me a little more at ease, but there was something not right with Bill. Maybe it was from all his time alone that made him a tad off? Either way, the man was missing a marble. Or five. He had the habit of trailing off, eyes darting about like a shifty weasel. It was disconcerting. On the other hand, Dan and Lilia loved him. Sides bursting from his ill-mannered jokes as my discomfort gurgled. <clears throat> a throat cleared as gruff hands took the plate I was over-rinsing out of my hands. I know that look. 
Bill said, and I was caught off guard by his soft tone. I shook myself, invisible strings turning the corners of my mouth upward. Oh? What look? That one there. I know a mean mama bear when I see one. See more than a few in my time, both furry and human. And I gotta tell you, I wouldn't pit my worst enemy against one. I laughed. <laughs> and why is that? He paused, all seriousness clouding his eyes. <sighs> because they would do anything for their cubs. I ain't stupid enough to get in between that. I stared at him for a moment before handing him another plate to dry. After a beat, I broke the silence. Sounds like smart advice. Bill belly laughed, and for the first time since he came into my home, my bones didn't jump. <laughs> More like life-saving advice. I thank you all again for the hospitality. Nice to know there are still good folks out there. We stood on the back porch drinking Dan's last batch of what Bill dubbed the best fucking hooch he's had. I can't imagine traveling like you do, Bill. Dan commented after a long sip of the clear liquor. Too many variables. It isn't all bad. Plus, I feel like I'm doing a service. Ridding the world that I see is about the only thing that keeps me going. I wasn't surprised by Bill's words. Him being an icy hunter sort of suited him. When he told us over dinner that his wife was killed in the early days by the rampant ICs, it clicked together. I suddenly saw what I could have been if I didn't have Dan or Lilia. A nomadic life and a crazy demeanor didn't seem like such a lousy penance. Bill set his glass down and we moved to meet him. Well, I'll leave y'all to enjoy the rest of your night. Bill set his glass down, and we moved to meet him at the back stairs. I'll come with you, and make sure you get settled, I offered. We agreed to let Bill use the barn for his stay, an idea of his own offering, as he wouldn't even let a stranger in his own home based on faith alone. His words. It's no trouble. I can make do. Bill said, brushing off my hospitality with a wave. Is Bill leaving? Lilia's sleepy voice asked behind me. I turned to smile at my daughter. She had fallen asleep in her chair as we talked. Her eyelids blinked rapidly as she tried to wake up. Hmm, just walking Bill out to the barn. Go upstairs and hit the hay, kiddo, I said, turning back to escort Bill to the barn. He's staying in the barn? My daughter's shriek caused the three of us to jump. Dan looked at Lilia quizzically. Yes. Do you have a problem with that, Lilia? Lilia's eyes darted frantically between us and the barn. Oh no, no, of course not. Just surprised is all. Like, come on, Mom. We have a spare bed. He can sleep in the house. I frowned at her, but Bill snapped my response clean off. It's no trouble. Mom. Lilia's insistent tone made me gawk at her. Lilia. I countered, tone matching hers. What is with you and the barn? Nothing, gosh. Just thought we could do better for our first guest in, I don't know, a million years? I rolled my eyes at the teenager logic. It was Bill's idea, honey, and it's best. I put no room in my voice for argument. 
but I could see it all over my daughter's face that it did not deter her. Now, if it's all right with you, I'm going to go help Bill get settled. I turned, leaving Lilia and heading in the direction of the barn. Dan fell in step behind us. I'll make sure the generator is running for you. It gets a little cold in there and you'll have some light too, if you need to get up for any reason. We walked in comfortable silence for a beat before the sound of thrashing grass greeted us. I glanced over my shoulder to see Lilia jogging up behind us. Her eyes were as big as saucers, but she said nothing. The barn door was ten feet in front of us before Lilia burst into nervous chatter, her voice ringing loud against the quiet night air. You sure he can't stay in the house? Lilia, seriously, you are being rude. I snapped. Mom, you're the one being rude. She countered, her chest puffing out in a mock strength. I rolled my eyes. This kid... Dan ignored our bickering, yanking open the door, his voice smooth as he was telling Bill about the renovations we did on the barn to turn into a working office and an extra sleeping quarters. Dad, wait! Lilia shouted, but the barn door was already fully open before the words left her lips. My eyes fixed on the inside, my mind screaming. A young man was desperately trying to open the back window of the barn. There were a few dishes piled on the unused workbench. Tangled sheets lay in a heap next to the cot that I sometimes used when I worked too late in the barn. He was about Lilia's age, or maybe five years older. A large, filthy beanie sat snugly on his head. Bill's gun was already raised at the young man's chest. All previous jovialness eradicated from his face. I I can explain. Lilia stammered before bolting between us. Lilia, don't! I cried, fingers failing to snag her before she darted out of reach. She stopped halfway between us and the boy, arms outstretched, blocking Bill's target. Lilia! Listen, you guys, listen. I didn't want you to find out this way. Find out what? I shrieked that you were hiding someone in our barn without telling us? I couldn't believe this. How could you be so careless? The full impact of the scene hit me in the gut. My daughter had willingly brought someone into our home. You can trust him. He's a good person. He just needed a place to stay. Lilia rushed, the omission tumbling from her lips. I was going to tell you, I swear, I just didn't know how. She continued as the boy snuck closer to her, making sure to keep his body protectively behind her. Bill cocked his gun. Don't take another step, pretty boy. He was injured. He needed a place to stay. I swear, that's all. He's a good person. Lilia stammered on, attempting to abate our concern. Lilia, you know nothing about whether he is a good person or not. I shrilled. To his credit, the boy said nothing. His eyes shifted lazily between the three of us. He was close enough to reach out and touch my daughter, and my body screamed as a wicked smile flashed across his face. Before I had time to react, the boy had his hands around Lilia, her body jerking against him, steel arms around her middle and chest. Now, now, everyone just calm down. His voice hissed from his lips, hoarse and clinical. His eyes had a jumped from uncertain to calculating in a matter of moments. 
Willia's body stiffened, and that was all I needed to shove my fear down. Get your hands off my daughter, I growled. The men flanked me, Bill taking small steps towards the two. The interloper turned his attention toward the man with the gun, thrusting Lilia's body in front of his own. The coward. Easy there, old man. Don't want to hurt the pretty little thing. Jake, what are you doing? Lilia asked, voice shaking. What I should have done when I first saw you, taking you with me. Now, look what you've done. Made things complicated. You are not taking her anywhere. (laughs) I beg to differ, lady. That's when I saw it. The crazed look in his eyes that I recognized anywhere. Those manic eyes only belonged to ICs. Some were able to hide their crazy easier than others. And he... He clearly tricked my daughter into believing he was a norm. Like hell you are. Lilia said before all hell broke loose. Lilia raised her foot and stomped down hard, grinding her heel into his instep. He howled in surprise before her hands came up to claw his arm and eyes. We closed in, ready to pull our daughter free from this monster. Lilia's hands reached up in their struggle, fingers snagging on the material of the beanie and ripping it off of his head. The boy screamed, arms pushing Lilia to the ground in favor of covering his head. I... I wish I hadn't seen it. Jake's malformed head pulsated rhythmically behind his calloused fingers. Various ridges rose and sloped to form ill-shaped moguls along his skull. Each one translucent, but not unoccupied. Golf ball tumors slept in each sanguinous sack, forming a lazy crown on his head. A few had popped, oozing yellowish rust-colored fluid down the side of his face, the odor wafting to my nose, and I nearly halted in my progress to Lilia, my stomach wanting to kick up the rabbit. You bitch! Jake screamed before lunging towards Lilia. Lilia screamed at the sight of him, but was cut off by Bill's rifle. He managed two shots to the chest, blood spraying my workbench and pipettes. The final shot rang out past my ear, lodging itself into one of the tumor sacs. Putrid, pustulous fluid rained chunks of gore and excrement down on Lilia, her eyes wild with terror as Jake's lifeless body hit the hay-covered floor. I fell to the ground next to Lilia, hands moving as fast as I could to wipe away the carnage from her eyes. It's gonna be okay, baby. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Bill helped Dan burn the body, as Lilia told me the story of how she met Jake on her supply trip. He had seemed friendly enough, promising her he was a norm and just needed a place to stay. Can I fault a teenage girl for falling for the first boy and, well, person she's ever seen? So she hid him in the barn, waiting for the right time to tell us. I wanted to be furious with her, but I think the ordeal was traumatizing enough. Bill, true to his word, only stayed one night before moving on. The morning after the incident, I walked out to the barn, two cups of coffee in hand. Bill was already packing up when I entered the barn, and he took the coffee graciously. We sipped in silence for a few moments. 
and a small twinkle of sadness buzzed through my mind at the thought of Bill leaving. Thank you, I said, feeling awkward at finally breaking the comfortable silence. For coming along when you did, I, I don't know what we would have done if you hadn't been there last night. My eyes floated to the now dried blood splattered on the barn floor. This was... This was going to be difficult to descale. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you want to thank me just yet, Martha. Although I suppose, as luck would have it, you and your family have set me free in a way. My brow furrowed, and he continued, as if my face had asked the question for me. I knew who you were before I interrupted you yesterday. Been searching for you, you could say. My body went numb the warm caffeinated drink no longer bringing me relief. It was by chance that the boy was here, really. I wasn't lying when I said I was hunting our seas, but I suppose I wasn't honest neither on account of, well, I was hunting you as well. I felt my throat closing as if his hands were coiled around my neck. Bill downed the last of his coffee and stared into the mug a moment as if communing with it. I wanted to run, but his trusty shotgun was resting just within his reach. I already knew what he could do with it. Would running really save me? Finally, he looked at me, eyes shimmering with contentment. But I suppose you got what you deserved last night. Don't worry, I don't plan on killing Lila for what she is now. Like I said, you've got what you deserved and that's enough for me. I didn't answer. There was no need. He was right. As I watched Bill saunter back into the woods which he came, the guilt I had so meticulously packed away began to snowball through my mind. The avalanche of disgrace fell on my chest, nearly sagging me to my knees. Last night was only a reminder that I caused this mess with my hubris. Yet, it was the same hubris digging to the surface now as I closed the barn door and began working on a cure. This has been a Morbid Forest production. On this week's double feature season finale, you've heard The Whisper Man, written by Sean Moreau, with performances by Sean Moreau as Sam, Naomi Richards as Daisy and the Whisper Man, Eric Stevens as Bill from the File Under Entertainment podcast, and Joey as Simon from the Affable Chat podcast, and our extra special guest from the No Sleep podcast, Nicole Goodnight, bringing you the Whisper Man rhyme. Need something to fill your Tuesdays as we take a little break? Check out File Under Entertainment, a podcast by friends of the show, Eric and Dylan, where they cover movies in an alphabetical approach. Season two will cover music and movies. And if you are a musician interested in promoting your work, email the guys at fileunderpod at gmail.com. You can find their podcast on Spotify, and I've linked them in the show notes. Our second story tonight was titled The Two-Headed Serpent, written by Naomi Richards, with performances by Naomi Richards as Marty, Simon as Dan, 
host of the Stories, Fables, and Ghastly Tales podcast. Emily Fletcher as Lilia, Sean Moreau as Bill, and Joey of the Affable Chat podcast as Jake. And here's another podcast wreck for all my travelers. Affable Chat is a movie podcast that focuses on deep conversations with friendly vibes. Scroll through their library and be transported to a world of film analysis every week. You can find them on Apple Podcast and SoundCloud and also find all of their links in the show notes. And I would be very remiss if I didn't mention the Stories, Fables, and Ghastly Tales podcast. With over 600 storytelling episodes three times a week brought to you by your favorite Aussie, you'll get everything from No Sleep Stories, Creepypastas, True Crime, and more. I've linked his website in our show notes, and you can find him everywhere podcasts are available. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, just everything. Sean and I can't thank these amazing individuals enough for lending their voices to our fledgling show. The podcast community has been overwhelmingly supportive, and I can't wait to build our friendship and the community with everyone involved. Thank you so, so very much. You don't know how much I appreciate you guys. And an extra special thank you goes out to all my travelers. Without you, there'd be no show. As I said, this is the end of season one. But don't worry, season two is in the works. And while you wait, we'll be throwing some mini episodes at you to tie you over as you wait. And I also have a very awesome announcement for all my travelers. (laughs) We finally launched our merch. Woo woo. (laughs) It's so exciting. So you can head over to redbubble.com and you can search Morbid Forest 21. Our shop has everything from shirts to hats to stickers to magnets to everything your hearts desire with our awesome creepy logo on it. (laughs) And so go ahead and check out all that fun merch for you guys that we've set up. (laughs) Want to help us keep the lights on? Head over to patreon.com slash themorbidforest. You'll find two different tiers between Baby Monster and Scout to help us further the podcast along, as well as get shoutouts, discounts on merch, blooper reels, and bonus content. You'll also be able to connect with us a little bit more over on Patreon. Want to write us a little love note or aspiring voice actor? Email us at themorbidforest at gmail.com. And once again, guys, thank you, thank you so much for starting out this journey with us. We really can't wait to show you what we have next in store. And with that, until next time, travelers, I'll see you soon in the Morbid Forest.